0: Welcome to the Rock and Roll Survivors podcast, dedicated to those in front of the curtain, behind the curtain, and somewhere in between. I'm Kristen, and on season one, the legendary rock star Patti Quattro joins us to discuss her time with the band Fanny, the fabulous feedback from the international press, David Bowie's contributions to the fifth and final Fanny album, and so much more. So let's get started. So, Patty, I want to pick up a little bit on Fanny being Cream Dream and Cream Magazine. We talked a little bit about it last time. So it was August 1st, 1974. And for those who haven't seen it, I mean, of course, you can look it up. But I wanted to read the little blurb with your gorgeous pictures on it or picture of all of you. It reads, quote, the Cream Dream, and it's hysterically tongue-in-cheek. So it says, Fanny birds of a feather flock together and such is the case with these exotically plumed creatures who call themselves Fanny. The girls asked Cream to give them a chance to, quote, bend over and let you see them shake a tail feather, close quote. So, hot shots, knock yourselves out, but don't let their luscious good looks deceive you. These lovely ladies of LA are rock stars of the heaviest type. They can wield their stuff with the likes of Grand Funk or Black Sabbath. No powder puff league for these wonderfully strange songstresses. They can suck out your solar plexus and send your brain cells reeling to Southern Indiana, Indiana for a rescue without even messing their mascara, close quote. And what I found really interesting, and of course, Patty, I want you to talk about this and Cream and all of that, but the photo of Cream Dream was taken by John Bilecki, who also photographed the slower part. It's all from the same photo shoot. And Mm. I just, I never got that before. And I I love that. The other thing is, of course, the tongue in cheek is talking about you and being birds because that was so slang at the time and flocking together. But there is another interesting twist to it, which is my dad's company and my dad being your manager was the blue peacock. Peacock. yeah. Yeah. And if you look at Jean's shirt, it is a peacock feather that long so patty tell us a little bit about being a cream dream gal i don't know what the mate cream made. tell us about that whole experience and also your past with cream
1: well we we used to hang out there all the time it was the street to go to for all things musical in detroit so Susie and i and nancy you know we would hang out there nancy used to uh sneak out at night to go down there. It was, you know, it was just popping all the time on that street and Cream's offices were there. And oddly, Fanny ended up being the Cream dream. We never did get Cream dream. I don't even know if they had started it then in our early bands, you know, Pleasure Seekers and Cradle. I'm not sure they were to that point where they were doing this cream dream thing. But we were a perfect match for that because we had gained notoriety. And they put out the offer. And we were obviously in Detroit. So it was a natural thing to do it. We played there on our tour. So it was fun. I mean, it was all They were, they loved the name Fanny and what it really, you know, the sexuality of it. I mean, the stories of what it meant in England, exactly the opposite. I I don't know if the audience knows that, but it meant the front. And so it was sort of racy to be called Fanny. And uh, the shoot went great. He was a great photographer. Cream had a lot of great photographers. They they have great covers and everything on their magazine. When you look back at their history, so yeah, it was. I remember having a good time at that thing, and he also did the cover. He did a shot on the cover. Photographer, very good.
0: Oh, it's 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 an iconic photo. As yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> also the mud the uh, in her rainbow wig exactly. Well, and just on a, on an aside, you and Jean are so tan in this and it's because you were at the house, you know, sunbathing All all right. That, that was not a sun tanning booth. That was real. those were real. Oh t- no no.
1: your backyard rocked. you know there was always people there by the pool. It was a great house. a lot yeah. of fun times there. I really miss it i
0: have to say i hope who's i think the people who are living there now have been there for a long time wow oh good for them i loved it so patty you teased us about fanny having done a rock opera and we talked about the fact that just to clarify the album the fifth fanny album on casablanca is called rock and roll survivors which is of course where we get the podcast name but when you were on tour you were doing more of an opera with texts and talking and all of that, whereas the album is more of just the musical aspect of it.
1: Yes. Very, very different.
0: Very different.
1: Very different. We, I don't know how that happened, but I, I imagine it was partly Vinny and maybe your dad, you know, their, their concept of the album and Neil. Um, they wanted to do... A lot of songs and stuff. The rock opera sort of got by the wayside. And yet it had been a big thing with me and Nikki. We composed much of it. And, you know, everybody had input, but I had brought stuff from Detroit that was from Cradle. And it was uh, social issues and things. There's nothing we didn't attack. And it's all in the opera. And Nikki had her own very strong opinions of a lot of things, too. She Mm -hmm. wrote the title song, which was, it really said it all. It was great. Rock and roll survivors. And it goes into this moody part and then it kicks, you know. It was a very cool tune. And it comes through the opera in different sections. It, It reprises a little. And we even had an apologia. For the rock opera, it starts with pieces of different songs and does rock and roll survive? You know, it keeps. It's haunting, yeah. So, like an overture. Yes, it's sort of like an overture beginning. And it 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 plays different things. Nikki wrote some very important songs in it, engineered and just like him, and you know, ones that will when we discuss the opera, mm-hmm. and I have the whole script and I all know. This, Spoken pieces. Yeah. I mean, it's amazing. Before certain songs, each girl would take a social issue and talk about it, whether it be sexuality or gay, whatever it was, we would talk drugs, you know, and. Fabulous. Fabulous. We we yeah. definitely will be
0: touching upon this as we do a little more sleuthing. That's a tease mm-hmm. for the listeners. But one of the things that you and I discovered after our last conversation because you had said before that you didn't think you did blind alley but in fact this new incarnation
1: of fanny you did do blind alley we did blind i i did blind alley with them we did um you're the one we did uh, peculiar ain't that peculiar but, we did but in the opera blind alley's in there absolutely it, and it's such Two a yeah
0: well and it's such a great story if you're going to do an opera It's uh, lyrically, it's so visual. It
1: fit fit fit. into what we were doing. That's why we used that one. Absolutely. We didn't pick any of the others, but we did use Blind Alley.
0: Well, the first line, take care of yourself. This is your story.
1: Yes. I mean, that's
0: an incredible line and it just sets the stage. So of course it makes perfect sense that you would use it for the rock opera. And again, we're going to get to it, but shifting gears or shifting chords, I'm not sure. (laughs) (laughs) I want to spend this conversation and depending on how long it goes, we may pick up on it for the next episode, but I want to talk about your three guitars. I want to talk about your guitar case, but before we get to this, am I understanding correctly that your two guitar inspirations for you as a guitar player was uh
1: Jeff Beck and Leslie West? yeah they were my mentors as I sellved into it I mean I started in folk music when I taught myself guitar you know Peter Paul and Mary were the thing and we were hanging with uh the homeboys that were playing rock and I got we all got turned on to the rock. So the beginning story we will uh, go through because that was pretty interesting how it all came about from my little epiphany moment in Detroit. But um, the guitar, the people, my mentors—that was later that they really took me to a different place. I had you know connections with Jeff and we jammed and stuff. And Leslie, oh, tell us a little bit about Leslie West. West masterful guitar player. He started in the Vagrants. It was a band in New York City and they played all the club circuit and everything. And he stood out, this big guy, just rocking the guitar. He was so talented. And <clears throat> I'm trying to remember how we actually met. I think it was from being on a bill with them and we became fast friends all the time. i saw him through the years, different points as we got older. And he got skinny because he had, I think it was diabetes that took him down. He lost a leg. I mean, it was really sad. And he kept touring. I mean, he's just, he's played with so many people, even guest spots on their albums and stuff. He has a huge legacy, just huge. So to interrupt for one second, when you say
0: he, he saw you playing or we playing, that's Pleasure Seekers, correct? Or Cradle?
1: Cradle. Okay, so he saw you in Cradle. Cradle. He saw me in Cradle where we were writing and doing much more avant-garde stuff. And we were on a bill with them. In fact, the first time we played with them, it was after the show. And we were standing there talking on the floor and some fan came up and said, oh, boy, you play great for chicks. And Leslie, (laughs) I said, yeah, well, suck my dick. And Leslie fell on the floor laughing, big Leslie. He was rolling on the floor. And years later, he told me, do you have any idea how many times I've used that line? That is, well, in his case, it's a little different, but you're, that's so funny. That is hysterical. Well, I got sick of it. You know, it was the normal thing. You play, you know, the club owner saying, Oh, you're the backup singers. Come on this way. You know, I mean, just the disrespect and the not realizing girls were there playing the instruments, oh, God forbid. Not you kidding. know it was pretty funny, but it Leslie worked. he loved that stuff. and he and he really respected the band and um uh, loved what we were doing. the whole band, Felix, Leslie, Corky, they were all so supportive. Mind you, of course, they were trying to hit on us, but, there was a respect there. Like I said earlier, we played hide and seek. We had pasta dinners. They came to the house. We just, we played with them more than once. And it was always fun. Wonderful. Well, if that's the case, let's start with
0: your custom guitar gifted by none other than Leslie West. Leslie to you. West. And I'd love you to talk a little bit about it and show it to this the is
1: audience. it. It was uh there was a famous music store in New York City Manny's and of course being a New York City boy yep there it is yep it's the only one in the world and he gifted it to me he they made it for him custom so it's it it's an unusual one you know what they put on it and everything and I don't know why he gave it to me, but I was so happy to get it. It's an amazing guitar. I mean, I didn't use it a lot because I had my two favorite ones, right? My SG and my Les Paul for studio. But I played this on gigs too. And it was just very cool to have a guitar that was his, that was passed on to me. Now that he's gone, I mean, I cherish it. It's it's just amazing to have that gift. Because he was, I admired his playing so much. He was just a master up there. The moods he would create. Oh, Leslie was.
0: It says so much about how he felt about your playing that he gifted you his guitar.
1: Yeah. Well, we got real involved because of Bud Prager, too, because we were both managed by Bud. And Leslie was one of the ones that was pushing Bud. You know, you got to get them on record and blah, blah, blah. And he got it all going, you know, and Felix. He loved it. Him and his violin bass. Oh my God. He was such a good bass player and producer. All of them. When when they hit that cowbell for Mississippi queen, I'll never forget the first time I heard that it just threw me to the wall. Three people. And they had this wall of sound. You just went, ah, what is this? That's strong. And they were mic'd so well and everything. And, They played so well together. It was a treat to hear them. Every time they would do that song, I was just gone. You know, what a hit.
0: That's wonderful. Well, one of our listeners, our new listeners, Nigel Langridge, who's also a dear friend of mine and also a huge Fanny fan and rock fan in general. He was saying about Leslie West that Pete Townsend was a or is a huge fan of Leslie West. And so there's rumor, or I believe you told me that Pete Townsend tried to buy one of your guitars. Is that this guitar, which would make
1: sense? No, that is this one my 1953 les paul it's it's vintage it is historic it's one of the only guitars that had special work done on it in the pickups and stuff it's it's different but it's 1953 this thing is oh. gorgeous it's, gorgeous. it's amazing. Goldtop, Les Paul, 1953. There aren't that many of them around. I mean, it's it's pretty amazing that I have one. And it was given to me. I've, I've been pretty damn lucky. That was given to me by the factory uh, doing it. Uh, one of the guys that was a boyfriend of my drummer, he worked with them and had his own music store. And he gifted it to me. He said, this is the only one like this. And I loved it. But you know what it was? It was it was heavy, less paws are a little heavier on my back. So when I was on stage, I used that more in the studio. On stage, I loved the one in the background there, my mirrored one. I did that on purpose because my dad always said, you know, do the whole thing, do the whole picture. And I knew that I moved a lot on stage. I, I couldn't sit still. And I wanted the lights to catch it when I would play and it would send out these beams of light. It was very cool. So I put them all over the face. I defaced it, (laughs) but it worked. It was fabulous. And everybody through the decades have commented on that guitar. It's in a book uh, a year and a half ago, Lisa Johnson, rock star guitars. And it's in there because she just loved it. We, Took pictures and did it. But that's my favorite guitar. Thin, slim, fast neck, lightweight. I could throw it around and catch it and do all that. In fact, there's a funny story here. We played with Canned Heat. I'm going to insert this now because it has to do with that guitar. Please, Canned Heat. We were on a huge Northwest tour held over there. Who was we? Uh, Pleasure Seekers and we were playing for Pat O'Day in the Northwest. He was a huge promoter, you know, heart country, Nirvana, on and on, the talent there. And he he had heard about us, and, you know, it was a novelty then, girls. And he held us over for six weeks touring all through the Northwest. He put us on tour everywhere. He put us with the animals there we were doing Sky Pilot, our version, and the animals did theirs after us. Great guys, but canned heat warmed us up at one of the gigs. You know their song "Up Up the Country." You know they had a big hit with that. And the guy didn't. Something happened with his guitar before the show, and they were warming us up. We were the headliner, and he said, "Can I borrow your guitar?" I said, "Sure." You know, I had strings tightening. The strap. So when I would throw it up, you know, nothing was going to happen. It was going to stay together. He cut every string and played. And I went to do my set after, and I went to throw it, bam, right out to the face down on the stage. I could have throttled him. He was so embarrassed. I said, I didn't know what they were for. And I said, oh, come on. they were, It was pretty funny. And oddly, I picked it up and kept playing It nothing happened to it. I was going to ask a few feet and right face down. It was still in tune and everything. I couldn't believe it. So that that was my is I love that story. That is
0: so great. And, We also, we've mentioned this before, but we are trying to get some live footage, get the rights to the live footage of you playing in Fanny. And we get to see your movements with this incredible guitar. And it does work with the lights. I mean, and it's so rock and roll. It's so 1970.
1: Yeah, great. I couldn't imagine that nobody had thought of it before. I mean, I did that really early with the mirrors and stuff. It was fun. So not left, if you see, well, you can't see, but there's, A few missing now, but I won't touch it. You know, I'm funny about the history of something. I know people refurbish things. I will show you my guitar case.
0: Please do. I I want you to talk about the history of your guitar. This
1: is my guitar case from the road, as you can see. Look at this. That's memory and histories. I mean, it's almost going to be bare wood soon because, you know, every time I do an event or something, I have to hand carry it on the plane and pray that it gets there. Okay. Um, I have to tape it around because one of the latches is broken. You know, June asked me, why don't you get a new kid? No. no this way. Is history. This is decades. This is road stories and memories. I love it. Having that look. I love it. So I won't touch it. I'm surprised you didn't put stickers on it. Oh, there were, I'm sure I pulled a few off, you know, oh. and, <laughs> there were stickers there's quattro emblazoned on it because they they did that you know with all the equipment they had the names and stuff so no I'm, i'm not touching it as is